Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now then, welcome to the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. And if you want to listen to us every week, why don't you subscribe? And even better, leave us a review on iTunes. If you want, you can also follow me at Jay Beardmore. There's a Twitter account for the uh, podcast as well. That is at the Rugby Dungeon, as well as a Facebook page, also at the Rugby Dungeon, and our Facebook group, which we will have a Facebook Live interview on there very, very soon. So that should all be very good fun. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Miles Benjamin. Now, if you ever have listened to my other podcast, Egg Chasers with Tim and Phil, you know, this is a kind of big deal. If you haven't listened to Egg Chasers, well, why don't you go back and listen to it and find out exactly what I'm talking about? Miles has played for Worcester, he's played for Leicester, and has sadly had to retire this year due to a knee injury, and in my opinion, was one of the most talented wingers in the Premiership. Before we get into any of that, uh, a quick word to our sponsors, Field and Flower. Field and Flower deliver high-quality, grass-fed meat direct to your door. It's all grass-fed, it's all locally sourced if you live in Somerset, and quite frankly, it's brilliant. Not only is it brilliant, I'm amazed by how many of you signed up, helped support our sponsors, and also helped support what we do down here. All you need to do is go onto their website, Field and Flower, have a look at their many selection boxes, or if you're a bit fussy, why don't you build your own box using one of their 170 cuts of meat and fish. All the meat, of course, is traceable, and most importantly, it's grass-fed, meaning it's got loads of good things such as vitamin E and A and omega-3s. Just go onto their website, choose one of the subscription boxes, or build your own. Use our code RUGBY20 for your 20% off your first box, and just wait for your delicious box of meat to arrive at your doorstep, and enjoy it. That's it. Just go on there, use the code RUGBY20, and away you go. Okay, sitting comfortably... So joining me on the podcast, kind of a big deal if you listen to Egg Chasers, is Mr. Miles Benjamin. How are you, Miles? Yeah, very well, thanks. Um, getting used to retired life. Um, so yeah, just uh, cracking on and trying to enjoy what's uh, what's left of the summer. When was it that you came to that decision? Um, well, it was almost made for me in a way. I sort of knew the writing was on the wall a bit, but um, you know, my knee had just just couldn't cope with the workload basically I couldn't get through training so I knew in myself that I kind of needed to retire and then when I saw the surgeon he made it clear that there weren't really any other options for us we'd exhausted all the available options and you know that that was um, the decision was made on the back of that really so there wasn't one particular injury then it was actually just a combination of wear and tear uh no not exactly it was a 
the injury happened against oh, it's ages ago huh? um, Exeter in March 2015 that's when I had the injury so I got um, tackled as, as you do and just fell in, in the wrong way and um, you know, oh. I did some damage to my medial ligament I fractured my the top of my tibia Oh, and then uh, yeah ever since then just couldn't cure the swelling I mean, it was a bit of an similar issue. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember Ledley King? And he used to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he used to basically train in the pool on his own all week. Yeah, it and was sort he, of. Um, I think like he got that. like special, like special allowances, didn't he? So he didn't have to train with the squad, and then he'd come in for games. Yeah, which is you know, if you're Ledley King, you can kind of get away with it, but <laughs> when you're uh, <laughs> yeah. trying to compete with, uh, yeah, that was. Uh, with some really good players at Tigers, and it's it's not really what you want to be doing just as a professional anyway and you feel you can't give the best of yourself and it's it's not good for your sort of long-term health either I mean I was coming back home and just uh, after training and only doing one session and um, icing my knee all night and swallowing pills and it was yeah that, you know, that it just, it just became clear it wasn't going to be sustainable so is this yeah. a, is this thing which feels okay now so if you're walking around and stuff it doesn't bother you but it's just doing something a bit more high impact um, yeah, I mean, I don't notice it too much at the moment because I literally haven't run more than about 50 metres since I retired. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that was the main thing that flared it up was um, with running. So now, you know, I try and keep fit. I do go to the gym and do a bit of a what bike or yeah, whatever I can, just, you know, low impact stuff. If, um, a couple of beach weights as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I've taken it definitely putting off the real world for as long as possible, going on a few holidays. So, yeah, beach weights are becoming and I pretty say, important now. So, so, are you taking advantage of the of the off season which you've just had with all the other lads? Because I assume for you, really, I mean, you have just retired, but when you retired, it's pretty much at the end of the season. Um, yeah, nearly. I mean, I think I retired um, or announced it sort of mid to late March yeah. time. Um, so yeah, by the time you sorted a few things out, um, I was still around Leicester, still sort of seeing a lot of the boys and everything. Um, yeah, when I came to sort of booking holidays, I, you know, I went away with a few of the, the Tigers boys over uh, over the summer. So you're still sort of in that in that mix. Yeah. Who did you go on holiday with? Out of interest. Uh, Owen Williams and uh, Luke Hamilton, who just joined Tigers this year. Uh... And then we uh, yeah, we met up with. Um, the conditioner from Sarries and the Edwards I've known for a few years. So yeah, <laughs> meeting up with the other teams as well. But yeah, it's good. It's good fun. Yeah, I have noticed because we started the podcast when everyone was in the off season, which I thought would be boring. Actually, it's really good because we uh, get to hear all of the holiday plans and actually how close the whole rugby community is. I mean, we had a load of lads uh, from Harlequins out with a, cu- a couple of boys from Saracens the other day. Uh, Leeds, for some reason, there's a big connection between Leeds and, and Sail Sharks. It, it does go on quite a lot. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's it's one of those things that you get to know people quite well, whether you're on sort of age group camps or, you know, Saxons or full England camps or whatever the boys are doing. So, you know, it's one of those things, you you work hard and play as hard as you can against each other in, in the season. But, you know, the rugby community is a fairly, um, you know, fairly solid one and people just tend to get on for the most part. Um, so, yeah, you, you tend to you tend to catch up with a few different different groups over the summer I bet uh, so are you, st- are you still living in Leicester now I am yeah I'm going to make the, the move and sell my soul and move down to the big smoke at some point oh, oh move nice down, uh, 
August or September. So actually just um, just before you call, I'm just sorting out, um, cancelling all my uh, utility bills and everything in Leicester and getting ready to make the move. Oh, what's the attraction to London other than it being London, of course? Um, yeah, just a completely, I need a fresh start um, for me personally, just do something completely different. I've got a lot of studying to finish off, which I should have done a long time ago. Which yeah. I think you've got all the time in the world. Um, but then, you know, things like this happen. So, yeah, I'm going to finish some studying and I've got a lot of family and friends down there and stuff. So just a nice, while I've got the, the freedom to do it, I, I like big cities as well. It's just a chance to live somewhere. Pretty I, exciting. It's not no dig on Leicester. I've enjoyed my time in Leicester. <laughs> well, but, I, can, um, I can imagine yeah, living in Leicester. Decent. I, I, I can imagine living in Leicester with the profile of the club and how much it means to that city. It is quite a small place. Um, I imagine you get recognised stuff quite a lot. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. You know, people definitely take their rugby seriously, and people here, to be honest, are really friendly too. It's I suppose the city's been on a bit of a, a high with. You know, Leicester are fairly consistent in you know being in the mix at, mm. at least in terms of rugby and then um, the uh, the football you know of going course, recently yeah. it's yeah it's been a hell of, hell of an atmosphere so uh, yeah it's been a, it's been a good place to be for the last few years but I, yeah I'm definitely up for a change no, that's a good actually because um, I mean Leicester Tigers have always been the premier club in in Leicester I mean they've always been you know the focal point of the town. With the football team winning, I bet that dynamic's changed. Yeah, yeah, it must do, really. I mean, I think people, people, the rugby supporters, I think, are still quite loyal to the rugby. Like, yeah. I didn't notice any massive drop-off in attendance or anything of everyone just hanging around the King Power. <laughs> yeah. Welford Road. But, um, no, it's, it's definitely more competition in the city, which is a good thing. And in the, uh, the basketball team's been doing well as well. The Leicester Riders, they've... Um, just had a new stadium built, and I know they got to the. I think they got to the finals. I can't remember what, whether they won in the end or not. But yeah, um, yeah. But there's, yeah, the, the profile of City's definitely gone up, and you know, people are people are very proud of it. To be fair, the basketball team in Leicester's always been pretty strong because the, I think there was a year when like the uh, Tigers win the win the Premiership, Leicester in the FA Cup final. Then you then you had the cricket team doing well and the basketball team. So it's, it's actually quite a big enclave of sport. Yeah, definitely. It's. Uh, and I, what was the other thing I was going to say was um, when they found that uh, Richard the Third um, stuff. So I think the whole profile of the city has just gone up. So in your travels around Leicester, then do the Tigers boys ever hang around with the uh, lads from the football team? Uh, no, not really. To be, uh, well, I say that um, Andy King uh, lives in my block. Oh, does he? Yeah, I haven't actually got to meet him, but I, yeah, I've seen him walking around in his kit and uh, seen the number plate. So I put <laughs> put two and two. Together, but he's probably too nervous to say hi. Yeah, that's that's the one. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really see them about much, but yeah, I mean, yes, it's, I suppose people do their own thing and they probably head down to London or various other places when they get time. And mm. in fairness, they don't get a hell of a lot of time, they're playing sort of two times a week a lot of the time, so it's a different sort of schedule. Their schedule, in fairness, is absolutely manic. What is it that you're um, going to finish off studying down in London? I assume you're studying in London or Oh, well. uh, yeah, I've been studying sociology um, very, very part-time. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, if any luck, I'll get it get it fully completed over the next sort of uh, year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something, you know, looking back now, if I, it just sounds like a very standard thing to say, but I do, you know, think it's pretty important for young players to sort of stay motivated 
for their education if, if that's what they're if that's what they're into yeah well, it definitely took a few years off and you know it's it's a lot harder doing it now than it would have been back then. My attention span is horrendous now. Well, I guess it is one of those things, though, isn't it? When you're doing those degrees, those are exactly the years that you need to be picked up by a club. Because I suppose if you came to the sport, say, 23, rather... I mean, I think with... Actually, I think with yourself, you've come into sport, I think, about 18, was it not? Yeah, so I, I did um, my A-levels and just went straight in, almost looking at it as a bit of a gap year option, because you've got no idea... What... No if you're any good or not you haven't really uh, been in that environment you haven't tested yourself in that professional sort of environment and then when you join an academy full-time you get a better idea whether one you're going to be good enough to whether it's what you want to do mm. um so yeah you I, I was full-time from 18 and then really looking back you think well you do have a lot of spare time and admittedly it's some of it you do actually just need to chill out and rest because it can be quite draining, training and everything. But beyond that, there is a decent period of time where you can, you know, pursue something else. So I definitely encourage people to do that um, you know, from the start, really. Yeah, I, I guess so. In your situation, exactly when you want to be doing your uh, degree is exactly when you need to be impressing people at the club. So it's not quite as easy as saying, well, go get the degree because you've got, you know, it can be a very lucrative career. If you get it right. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I just think you, if you have time, which I think most people do, mm. just to try and keep something else ticking over is a definitely, definitely a good idea. Do I think you... some clubs, I think you know, the RPA are pushing it yeah. a lot, you know, a lot more um, than previous years now. So it's yeah, so it's something to be mindful of, definitely, because I mean, you know, the, the more lucrative rugby gets, the more competitive it gets to, you know, come out and actually. And make a job out of it so there's almost even more reason to keep something else going if you can yeah now one of the, one of the things I found quite interesting about you and I'm not sure if this is true but I'm, I'm going to go with it anyway <laughs> right. uh, you've never actually had a club outside of a premiership club uh, except for one must have got relegated but you came straight from school straight into a, a large professional setup yeah pretty much I mean I did a few sessions uh, with Per Temps Bees when I was about 17 or so just to you know just uh, they were literally a, a mile down the road from my parents house so I went there for a bit of pre-season training but yeah I didn't have a club as such and I was I played it at school and, and that was it really and then you know I was lucky enough to play for the um under 18s the England 18s and then that was in my sort of last year of school and then from then I thought well you, you know you've got a chance to actually do something with this, and Worcester came in at that point, so I was straight to Worcester as soon as um, as soon as the summer came around. Because that's a huge jump from schoolboy rugby into into academy rugby without any say first team at lower levels. Yeah, I guess it. I suppose at that age, it's looking back now, I suppose it is a, a bit of a jump, and definitely you um, you do notice a difference in professionalism just in how much you train. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I turned up at Worcester. I think I trained for about two weeks, and then. Um, I had a holiday booked with my mates to uh, <laughs> Malia. I couldn't wait by the time I actually, after those two weeks, I went straight there and needed to um, unwind for a bit. So, uh, so as soon as you came back, I assume they assigned, they signed you full time, um, and then you made your debut. Oh, my debut was actually at uh, oh, Tigers. Leicester. Yeah, Tigers. Tigers yeah. Sorry, and I came off the bench for about um, ten fifteen minutes. It was screamed at by everybody, so I didn't know the calls all that well. Um, and yeah, it was, it was it was the best place to make your debut. There's nothing 
is going to whet your appetite to uh, improve and try and get in the team every week than playing at Welford Road in the first game. I mean, the atmosphere was just, you know, way, way more than I could have I know, bet. anticipated. Uh, do, do you remember who you were playing against? Um, it's all it's all a blur, really. I don't massively remember. They got one touch on the ball, and I should have tried. I remember I should have tried to go outside. I think it was Sam Vesti, but I cut inside. I remember Mike Ruddock told me off for not having a go. <laughs> I bet. Well, I mean, to be fair, thinking back about it now, and no disrespect to Sam Vesti, if you're going to go outside of someone, Sam Vesti is a pretty good option. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, I guess. Everything just happened so quickly, but um, yeah, I just I just remember getting called off the bench and just being so excited. I was finally making my debut. I can remember about a year before uh, the Middlesex Sevens was to be quite, and they took it quite seriously. I just had yeah. the twelve Premiership teams, and I remember we sent quite a good, you know, quite a solid team. And I text all my friends. So I'd only just finished school then, so I was eighteen. And that was the year before. And uh, text all my friends saying, oh, I'm going to be on TV, make sure you watch me. And um, Obviously, at that age and fresh out of school where you've been running in tries, you're a bit cocky, so I got the ball and tried to show and go Henry to Alangi. And, <laughs> and he didn't buy it, clotheslined me, and then I walked off, well, hobbled off with a fractured leg. So that was definitely a um, baptism oh. of fire into the whole professional rugby scene. Do you say with a broken leg? Yeah, well, I didn't. I never sort of uh, sprained my ankle before or anything like that. Oh. Um, so I got up and you know sort of tried to be a bit um, brave and very quick, quickly realised I couldn't be. So um, the physio sort of helped me off, and then <laughs> we got the X-ray eventually, and I um, fractured my fibula. In wow. My right leg. Wow. I so remember it, it clearly because I was while everyone else was having uh, back home, going out for drinks because they finished school. I was in in hospital or at home with my leg in a cast. <laughs> wow. So you, your first game with the first team, if you like, was Middlesex Sevens and uh, Henry Tuolangi. That's, uh, that, that's quite a baptism of fire. Yeah, still, still still the biggest man I've ever seen on a rugby pitch. He is enormous. Was his nickname not The Butcher or some such thing? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, but um, yeah, he was definitely definitely pretty scary. I mean, I remember he clotheslined me and I was on on the ground, you know, Clearly struggling, and he just leant over me and said, "Oh, sorry, bro, didn't mean to." And I just looked at him, and I, thought, I wasn't, I wasn't about to complain. You know. <laughs> Thank you, Mister Tuolangi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a big old, big old boy. Who was in your Worcester team then? Were you there at the same time as Latham, Marcel Garvey, that sort of back, back three? Yeah, yeah. I actually just got back from um, vis- visiting. Uh, Marcel out in Toulouse, he's moved there. He played for Cast for three years, and he's now settled in Toulouse and you know living that lifestyle, enjoying it. Um, so I played with him for about six years um, at Worcester, and yeah, Chris Latham was there in the second season. I think, okay, he joined. So that would have been two thousand and eight to two thousand and nine season he joined, and then yeah, he, he I think he left. I think he was just there for the two years. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, that was it. So we got relegated in 2010. Um, I think he went back to Australia. Uh, a few people left that year. I think Rico Gear would, would have gone that year as yeah. well. Yeah, he'd have gone over to Toulouse, I guess, at, uh, at that point. Oh, uh, no, Rico, I think Rico just went... He Rico went to Japan, I think you might think... Oh, Jose, I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. How has Marcel settled in Toulouse then? No chance of him coming back? 
No, I don't think so. I, I honestly thought he would do his his, um, his contract with Caston and be back quite soon. But you know, he's um, he's very settled there. French isn't too bad either. And, you know, it's, it's nice. It's a nice fresh start. I mean, you know, people come over and visit him and you know, have a little breakaway and you know, still keep in touch and everything. And you know, it's good. It's very different sort of lifestyle and everything for his kids. You know, then bilingual and everything now. So. Mm. Yeah, it's um, no, it's really good to see him, and just you know, it did make me think. I would have loved to if I'd been able to play for long enough. I would have loved to gone out there and given the whole French thing a go. Well, I, I had who did I have on the other week? Uh, Drew Mitchell, um, and he he absolutely loves the lifestyle out there. And to be fair, it does sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, just I mean, it's just the way they do things out there. It just seems so much more relaxed. I mean, you can go out to. Toulouse or you know a lot of European cities in a way and you know, there are families like dining out at you know mm. close to midnight and kids running around and having fun it's just I don't know it just seems like a very you know sort of chilled mm. out way of life yeah well and, uh, you know weather helps as well but well, apparently last year the uh, Toulouse coach Laporte didn't actually show up to work until Thursday they, oh, so yeah. they had a pretty relaxed time and they still weren't a lot of stuff <laughs> well yeah I mean I don't think any player is going to complain if the coach isn't <laughs> even turning up. You know? uh, I've actually just had a text. It's only a rumour. But the rumour is Stuart Lancaster to, to join Toulon, actually. Uh, have you got got any rea- any reaction to that? I mean, who's who's been at Toulouse? Who's been the head guy at Toulouse? Uh, uh, sorry, uh, at uh, Toulon. Oh, Toulon, OK. Bernard Lepore, until very, very recently. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I've worked with um, uh, Stuart Lancaster. He was... He's a very good, you know, from my experience of him and the Saxons, it probably would have been about four years ago. He's a good man manager in the sense that, you know, he's fairly straight. You know, he won't sort of say, you know, try and give you a, what you want to hear if you're not playing or anything like that. He'll just, you know, he'll say his opinion, say he had to make a call, and that's his call, basically. He's, he's quite, you know, and I, I find that personally anyway to be quite a good man manager because at least you know where you stand. You don't feel like, you know, somebody's just trying to, you know, cover something up. You know, he's, he's quite a straight up sort of guy. Uh, and I assume he was with you. Did you go on the Saxons tour to the Churchill Cup? Yeah, well, we say, we say tour, but I mean, our Churchill Cup was Worcester while I was playing for Worcester. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Worcester, Gloucester, and um, yeah, we had a nice trip out to Northampton for the other game. So. Oh, you must have been gutted because usually it's in Colorado. Yeah, well, it seems to always sort of fall that way for my uh, year group over the different years because I remember our under nineteen World Cup was in Belfast, which is you know interesting place, but yeah, but you still, know, not you know not exactly the most you know, <laughs> far afield or anything like that. And then we thought, oh, what well, changes to under twenty next year, so we've got another chance. And then it they put the thing in Newport, so oh. <laughs> yeah, we haven't haven't been too lucky with tours when they're going to. There, Denver and all these different places haven't really worked out that way. Well, I mean, there are lots, lots of towns in the UK called Newport, and not a single one of them is any good. Absolutely devastated for you. I would say that one of the best things about rugby union at the moment is expansion into the United States because it gives us, it gives me, and my friends, an excuse to go over there to watch rugby, which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I've seen or caught up too much of how the the league's going up there. I've seen uh, Don Waldock's moved out there. Mm. Um, I've seen a few of his sort of clips. Um, Online and stuff. He seems like to be having a great time. And Jake Abbott was out there before, flanker mm. for Worcester. 
Yeah. Um, he was out then. You know, I think just for a lifestyle change, everything. I think it's uh, seems like a positive move, and I think if they can, if that's that's one nation people have been saying for a long time. If they can get all those athletes into at least a few of them anyway into into rugby, they'll they'll become a force pretty quickly. Yeah, and also they're getting the All Blacks Island. We'll probably go and watch that. There was London Irish played there earlier in the year, so we went to watch that. So it's those little exhibition games that they do really, really well there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you've actually played um, a season in the Championship. Would you say that going on to the Championship, for you, made you the player that you are? Because you came back as one of, if not the top try scorer. Yeah, I, it did help because at the time um, we went down, I mean, I was obviously very disappointed. So I was injured and we... Uh, you also went down, so I wasn't feeling great about rugby at the time. But then you kind of realised quite quickly that you know wherever you were before you got injured or before you got relegated, it doesn't doesn't matter so much now. It's about the future, and um, it's one of those. It's a different sort of pressure because if you go down to the championship and you don't shine, then people are going to have real questions about you. Oh yeah, no. so yeah, I mean it's it's good. You just have to you know set your set your standards and. You know, try and make sure you get the the best out of it, and mm. it's good. I mean, for us, it was it was good because you come from the Premiership, where almost playing at Worcester, you're almost expected, you know, by the rest of the league to lose every, most of your games, mm. and then you go into a different situation where the teams just want to beat you up every week because you're seen as big people coming down, and you're yeah. now expected to win every week. So, yeah, it was a I really enjoyed it as a challenge, and I was just thankful that we managed to get out of it because back then it was a one-legged semi-final, and um, we yeah. very, very nearly lost it. Who was your semi-final against? It was against uh, Bedford, and I think we were—I can't remember exactly what the score was, but I remember we went in at half-time. I think we were sixteen nil down. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's and given you know, I think we'd lost one game all year. Um, so for that to be, it just shows sort of what pressure can do to sides. And yeah. what was the? Yeah, um, it, was, it, was, it was definitely a, a stressful, stressful game. What was the team message at halftime? I think everyone was trying to sort of remain calm. I mean, you know, you get a few people panicking uh, as you'd expect, and I can't exactly remember what the coaches were saying, but I do remember um, Andy Good was really good. He was very, um, you know, he's been in very high pressure many high pressure situations with Leicester and everything beforehand yeah. so he um, he was very good at sort of keeping the boys settled down and saying you know if they can score 16 points so can we you know it's not it's only half a game and just get back out there and do what we've been doing all year and I wouldn't say we quite did that but we found <laughs> found a way to <laughs> scrape a result and and how did you find the difference in standard between the two leagues um nowhere near as big as I think people would expect I mean I don't, you know I haven't been playing in it um, the last few years, so I don't know whether it's you know gone up or gone down, but um, yeah, it's 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 competitive. I think especially for the the team that's gone down, I just think people really do raise their game every week to play you mm. um, because it's a it's an opportunity to shine, get noticed. If you're the team that's come down, you're probably going to have more games on TV than the other teams and stuff like that. So. You know, most times you play another team, it's a shop window for some of their players, and it's also a chance just to to take a scalp. Did you ever get any uh, any niggle at the bottom of rocks and stuff? Because uh, obviously, like you said, you're the big boys coming down, and people are just trying to you know mess, mess with you a bit. Not no more than 
any other time in in fairness um not that i can remember i remember getting a fair bit of abuse from i think it was the plymouth albion fans they gave me a bit of abuse <laughs> yeah they were rubbing it in and they're saying you know you're stuck in the championship now that's you that's you for a few years <laughs> i mean it spurred me on in the end but mm. um yeah that's about the only time i can remember getting any sort of worse you know than what you'd what you'd expect i mean definitely no worse than what you get if you're standing on the wing next to the shed so yeah yeah absolutely i bet i was chatting to tom brady and, and he said like one of his favorite stories was they're playing harlequins and they had uh, it, it was hopper opposite him with the lock- one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hair, and by the end of the game, uh, Hopper was begging everyone to stop pulling his hair. <laughs> yeah, I don't have that problem really. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't get away with too much these days now. No, no. <laughs> yeah, with all the CCTV. I remember, I think it was um, my that first my debut for Worcester. I remember thinking, you know, whenever Julian White was around, I thought, oh, I'm going to be a bit careful in this rut. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> not like let my studs stray anywhere they shouldn't be going or anything like that. <laughs> so, uh, that's one guy can he can punch a bit. Oh, he's a scary man. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got a decent highlight reel for uh, fighting. I think. Oh, I, he, there's two of them that stand out for me. There's the fight he had. Well, I say the fight. He punched Andrew Sheridan. I, I think that that's probably the most famous one. Yeah, yeah. Were you around Leicester for that? Or was that just a bit before your time? Oh no, yeah, that was a long time before. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what year that was. That might have even been before I was at Worcester. It seems to, yeah, I remember that was a long time ago. And the other one, strangely enough, was a Churchill Cup game, and they were playing Canada. And I think this is one of the few times he's come up against his equal, a Canadian flanker called Dan Bao, who came off the side of a ruck and, well, just fists flew everywhere. It was wonderful to see. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'll have to YouTube that later, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I've looked for it multiple times. I can't find it. So if anyone's listening to this, I can get me the damn bow Julian White fight. I, I'd be eternally grateful. <laughs> that brings me on to something else, actually. A couple of lads I've spoken to in the past, one of the things that has shocked me is how little contact that they do that they do at training. Now, Leicester came in for a bit of a stick a few years ago because of the injury crisis. And one of the things that was put about was that you do a lot of contact in training is that actually the case or is this just over overblown by the media um i would say not overall i was there at leicester for three and a half four three and a half to four years not it was only really i think it was my third season we did quite a lot of contact even the the backs the forwards loved it because normally on a tuesday morning when you have your units split yeah um you know we're just doing kicking practice or practicing moves off scrum and we look across and we see the forwards uh, fighting and mauling and everything and, but this third season I was there we had a defence coach Phil Blake mm-hmm. and he 
he liked us to get some tackling in yeah. during the week. You know, he felt it was good. And, you know, to be honest, I don't really mind doing it. You know, I like to make a couple of proper tackles in the week. But, yeah, I think we probably did overdo it a bit. I mean, we were making a lot of tackles, really, and some of our unit sessions were quite full on. So, not to be too daft about it, what is a unit session? Is it simply breaking up into forwards and backs? Or is it a little bit yeah, more yeah. complex than that? Exactly that, exactly that. Um, but yeah, you were saying about the uh, whether we went sort of too hard in much contact. I, don't, yeah. I think that is probably a bit unfair on Leicester as a tag. I mean, that, that one season I definitely did, do think we did too much. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, I think by um, sort of strength and conditioning department, you know, the who sort of will measure how many impacts you've had per week, how much running you've done. So, and you know, the players themselves can start to police things too and say, look, we've done too much contact and everything. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say every time um, Cocker's listens, but <laughs> um, you know, if we've had a, a weekend and we've got beaten at a breakdown a lot, then you know, we'll still have that sort of mentality of, well, we're going to work hard this week then, and you know, there'll be a fair bit of contact and sort of clear out work and breakdown work and all that sort of stuff that nobody really likes doing but you know it's just all about trying to get the balance right because sometimes mm-hmm. you do have to work harder but other times you have to just um, accept that sometimes it's not going to go right every weekend and mm-hmm. not to sort of overreact you know can you describe what kind of what kind of character Cockers is to work with on a you know, day-to-day basis or whenever it is that, that you do get to work with him um, yeah I mean I, I have to be honest from my point of view he's been definitely quite good to me if I've had sort of big stuff going on or I've needed a bit of time away from the club for you know different reasons or whatever or if something big happens or you go directly to him about something he's always quite approachable which is I guess it doesn't come across in the in the media but on the flip side of that I'm not in the forwards so mm. um, I could imagine I could have a pretty different view if if I had been so I think you know he's definitely not you know he's, he doesn't sort of uh What's the word? Mince his words or whatever, you know? Yeah, he strikes me as a very harsh man, but someone that you want to, want on your side. Yeah, and to be honest, I, I really can't complain. I mean, he's told me off a few times for smiling too much during training. <laughs> that's a bit, and I think, to be honest, but then he, I think he just accepted that he was sort of lost with me. It was never going to, you know, I'm never going to be the kind of person banging my head off a brick wall before before a game or training or anything. So I just thought, oh, there's no point in really shouting at him too much because... It, um, it, it's just not going to really respond to it. It's very strange to say that because I think these stories are repeated no matter what level of rugby you are. So when we would get ready for a game uh, at our at our lowly level, some of the lads absolutely love screaming and shouting and others just absolutely hate it. Or they just don't respond to it. They just, you know, like you say, smile. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, you know, I like the game at the end of the day and I want to, <laughs> I want to enjoy it. Yeah, and you know it's probably you know I play on the wing, I suppose. So <laughs> you could you could get all amped up before a game and then not touch the ball for ten minutes. So, yeah. so I think you're probably better off keeping yourself on a nice on a nice level. Yeah, I'm of the opposite view because, of course, being a forward, that's exactly what we want to be doing. Yeah, yeah. Just going back a bit, one of the things which I read up about quite extensively was was your neck injury, and it sounded absolutely horrendous. Can you just tell me a bit about that? Uh, yeah, so. It was, really not the ideal way to start off at a new club because I joined Leicester in, in June or July of 2012 mm-hmm. um, like arrived with a, a bit of a, a toe injury initially so I was rehabbing that um, quite hard and then 
and I eventually got that right. Um, the season was just about to start, and I got a chance to play in an, an A League game, which was kind of like a, you know, a chance to you know, test it out and start making your comeback and everything. And then just on the stroke of half, half time, I sort of slipped into making a tackle. And normally, if you like miss time attack, you, you at least take some of the impacts on your shoulder or your neck or anything. But I slipped in, and all the impact of the I think it was Scott Armstrong uh, at Northampton, mm-hmm. um, all his impact just went straight through the top of my head, yeah, and just compressed my neck. And then it's weird, you know. I just remember just like that. I was sort of face down on the ground. I was still conscious or anything. I wasn't knocked out. Oh. I was just aware that suddenly I was like, oh, no, my neck's really sore and I haven't had this before, which you kind of think is a good thing. You can feel it. And then um, I remember moving my arms and then having that split second before I thought, oh, I best try and move my legs. Um, you know, it felt like the longest second ever. But you know, luckily, they moved fine and everything. And because you know, it happened just on the stroke of half time, my yeah. physio sort of walked me off the pitch and I did a few basic strength tests in the in the changing rooms and I was sort of thinking, well, yeah, it's a bit stiff, but yeah, I can go out for the second half. And I think mainly because I was just coming back from an injury, the physios had said, look, you know, you've had a knock, let's just leave it there for the night. Um, and then, you know, we didn't really know what it was. For about a week, I was walking around and you know, my neck was, you know, in my opinion, it was just sore and didn't really know what it was. And then I remember I went out eventually about a week later for a, a session that's meant to be non-contact and I just bumped into somebody and I just felt my neck. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah, I walked in and said, I need it. I have to have a scan. Eventually got the scan. It turned out to be fractured. So we'd sort of been oh walking around God. for about a week with a fractured neck. So that's... Yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't. It's amazing. Ideal, but these things these things happen, I guess. It's amazing that, that you had to flag that up. I thought that there'd be some sort of precautionary scanning anyway with a neck injury. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's one of those things. You do you do all the tests that you expect, and yeah, you know that are you know are meant to be done and everything. And then you know if they don't show the signs, it's kind of you, know, you just follow the protocol, really. But yeah, after that, I had the I went to see a surgeon. I was in a neck brace for three months. Oh, well, that sounds like a world of fun. <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't ideal. I came out with. A, uh, with a neck about as big as ET's neck, so it wasn't wasn't ideal. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I did that, and you sort of thought it would heal off its own accord, so I didn't have an operation initially. Okay. And then sort of came out of that, did all my rehab, and you know went back to see the surgeon when I was hopefully thinking he was going to give me the all clear to play, and he said, well, it's not quite healed to how he would have wanted it to, so we're going to have to operate, operate Ugh. it, and then I was back in my uh, back in my brace. Which I thought I was never going to see again. I was back in that for oh, I thought I'm a, another I, two months. So I bet you were you know, thoroughly miserable. Oh, uh, you know, when it's something so serious as your neck, you kind of I don't know. You're more fussed about just getting it right and mm-hmm. almost relieved that it's not more serious. You yeah, know, it's definitely hard for um, sort of loved ones around at the time and everything to see you like that and to be you know worried and just. That you're going to be okay. So I mean, you're kind of just looking at it on a on a wider level of you know just general health, really. Did you get any pressure off your family to pack it in after that? Um, no, not really. I mean, you know, no one really said anything. I think they probably just, in terms of like trying to protect me, they probably felt you know that's the last thing he wants to hear. 
right now will just support him and yeah you know he'll come to his own decision i'm sure mm. you know there would have been definitely my mum probably <laughs> almost you know hoping maybe that i would call it a day because you know it's not what you want to hear go, yeah go, go get a nice parents, job <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah um actually i remember my grand said at the time oh why can't you do a nice job where you wear a suit and, um <laughs> but uh yeah it's one of those i it, it was hard but in a way i was managed to stay quite positive throughout it because mm-hmm. you always think it could have been a lot worse yeah it's, it's, so i just you know ordered my tesco online every few days and <laughs> i think he was my best mate <laughs> for most of it uh did and you then, get uh, did, watched did, every box set you can think of i was gonna say did you get quite good at xbox oh yeah i mean i it's not really my thing too much the video games and stuff i played a bit of fifa i was, I was gonna but, say you know, every rugby player plays fifa because it's all over twitter oh yeah yeah so it's a go-to really um yeah, I actually played for the first time at the weekend. I was at a mate's house and played for years. Mm. Um, but yeah, for me, it was mainly the box sets. Pretty much, you could name any series. Um, the likelihood is that I've seen it. What's your favourite box set? Oh, Breaking Bad by a mile. Yeah, Breaking yeah. Bad's, Bad's okay. But do you know what? I actually got bored of the last series. In the end, I went to Wikipedia to find out what happened. So I've not seen the last two episodes. Are you it, serious? Yeah, it didn't really didn't really get me. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean... I suppose they're each to their own. I mean, well, one thing doesn't get me is Game of Thrones. But everyone's what? Yeah, I, I just think, oh, is he dra- all these dragons all over the place. I don't really, that, that's <laughs> I don't really uh, get it. I'll give you one which is absolutely horrific and you should never watch. Have you watched Suits yet? You know, I, I do watch Suits, but I can oh. I just watch it because it's sort of easy to watch, but it's really repetitive. I mean, I don't find it easy to watch. I watched the first two episodes, and uh, in fact, if anything, I found it the opposite to easy to watch. I mean, the whole premise that you could go to Harvard for an afternoon and come back as a, as a law grad, oh, I, I, I can't deal with it. Uh, well, but I, I'm trying to remember exactly what's, what happens. He doesn't... It's not like he becomes a lawyer. He just... He's, he's into the law and everything, and that's why he, well, it's, he learns everything. But I don't... It's I, not like he's gone to Harvard and he's... That's why he's a lawyer. He's he's actively like cheating the yeah, system, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's a small thing you see. It's like they're doing a um, they're doing a case about like sexual assault, and the only way they can find anything about sexual assault is to go into a massive library and read all all of the precedents. I'd imagine that's on the internet. I mean, I I don't know, but I'd imagine you don't need to wait stay up all night in the library. Having said that, with that assistant, I might stay up all night in the library. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be offended if I met. No. <laughs> so just to clear it up, I really dislike suits. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting that impression. I can't believe you don't like uh, Breaking Bad. Oh no, no, I, I love Breaking Bad. I like the first. Like, yeah, but in fact, not, I loved it. To want to not want to watch it and go on Wikipedia. Do you know what? Uh, I was. Uh, I honestly think it's. I'm one of those. One of those people who will talk about it and tell everyone else they need to watch Breaking Bad. It's the best series. Breaking Bad. Uh, I'll give you two. I'll give you two more box sets before we actually talk about uh, rugby again. Two which I I think can't be missed. The Wire. I think the first series of The Wire is the best TV ever made. I did watch The Wire. I did. Yeah, I like The Wire. Oh, it's, is it? It's solid. Oh, it's it's different level. It isn't just solid. It's different level. And uh, Friday Night Lights. Yes, yeah, that's the one I got bored of. What? I watched. Um, don't get me wrong. Like, again, I say I got bored of it, but. Most things. I don't even like Game of Thrones, but I still seen every episode. All <laughs> oh, right. So you, <laughs> so you like, don't like it relatively, I guess. No, but like, even Game of Thrones, like I'd say, I'd be like making dinner or something. It'd be on, 
and then I'll just I'll cook while people are talking in hushed tones with candles everywhere, and then I'll turn on when I hear some like swords being drawn. Yeah, well, do, do, <laughs> you know, I haven't. Um... You know, I've not been threatened with physical violence for a long time, not not since school, until one day someone over, overheard me talking about Game of Thrones as a spoiler. Wow. I mean, yeah, people take it seriously. I like sometimes my sister's really into it. She sends me all these different clips of people. Um, like, I think there was that one, the Red Wedding yes. episode. She has sent me all these clips of people's like reactions to it online. And is it, people really buy into it. I don't, I just don't really see the attraction like people say it's because our you know they kill random people you know, like big characters all the time but now it's got to a point where it's not even shocking yeah there's no one so left like, is at there? the end of this series i was just thinking well one of you guys is going because that's just like, <laughs> it happens see, I, you know, every year i'm of the uh, the opposite opinion which is i think they've kind of got to a stage now and they've handed the books over to a new team of writers and because of that they're not killing off characters quickly enough i think they need a bigger oh, yeah. a bigger attrition rate yeah, I mean it's just not for me, man. I, I when they, um, I remember we've been waiting all these series to get uh, Khaleesi and her dragons into action, and the first <laughs> yeah. time you know when it comes down, like flew down to save her in that amphitheater thing when she's getting attacked by all those people with the masks on. Mm. Um, I thought, oh, here we go, here we go, and it. it I think it, t- it took one spear, and the thing was nearly nearly done it was nearly dead <laughs> yeah so I was just feel I've been waiting for how many series for this but... 86 hours of viewing for this <laughs> yeah exactly so, um, you know just, people seem to like it but... well from box sets which you clearly enjoy going through your t- through your Twitter account something you obviously uh, enjoy a lot is sports and it sounds like you've played almost at every sport that there is yeah I mean people always uh, think it's strange I've played them um... Water polo. Yeah. Uh, I played that at school. Are you any good at water polo? Oh, I wouldn't know now, but yeah, I used to... I played quite seriously when I was at school for a few years. Just explain, because I don't know. Explain the rules of water polo and exactly how you meant to score and st- stuff like that. The basics are... It's quite similar to um, basketball, really, in the sense that you almost like one team attacks, then the other team attacks. And, you know, fouls... It's very easy to draw a foul, so any bit of contact... You know, it's, it's, it's a foul, really. It's when you when you have the ball off the ball, a lot of you know cheeky sort of fouling goes on. Um, but basically, you can't sort of put the ball underneath the water. Okay. You can't, if I remember rightly, use two hands. And then apart from that, yeah, it's, it's just like a mix between football and basketball, really. Okay. Well, I mean, thinking about it now, I mean, your knee's not what it was. But maybe in a swimming pool, you can make a bit of a comeback. Yeah, I'm, I actually tried to because I, that's one of the things I'm doing for uh, to try and stay fit and everything at the moment. Uh, I try and, you know, if I have the motivation, I wake up and then before I've got too long to think about it, I'll go to the gym and mm-hmm. try and get in with the early swimmers. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I do get the odd, odd look because, you know, not not loads of black people swim, really. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, people can uh, definitely draw a few few looks but I'll, you know, I'll try and get in and do a few lengths well I mean I, um, few days. I guess if you're moving on to London and there's any water polo teams looking for an additional member just get a hold of Miles on on Twitter yeah that's it yeah if anyone uh, needs a spare <laughs> needs a spare player uh, I'll, um, I'll come down and give it a go and, and you also played cricket to a, to a pretty reasonable standard too yeah I, I, I was involved with um, Warwickshire and the 14s mm-hmm um, but then you get to a point where you you have to make a 
some sort of choice. I started to get quite serious, and in the summer, I was I love my athletics as well. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I was on a decent triple jumper, mm-hmm. and I, I did the sprints as well. You know, not really a two hundred because as soon as I got round the bend, I was done really. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I got to, oh, to about thirteen, fourteen. I just rugby in the winter and athletics in the summer. What was your fastest hundred meter time? Um, I think I ran about an eleven. I ran eleven two when I was say I think I was forty or fifteen. Wow. Um, but then, to be honest, I wouldn't know whether I ever got quicker than that or slower because then you start putting on a bit of muscle mass for rugby yeah. and everything. So. I think, yeah, I probably would have been quicker over the first, say, 50 metres, and then you just you die out, really. Have you, have you ever played anyone on a rugby pitch who has noticeably done you for pace, or you've played against a guy and you've thought, crikey, he's really fast? Yeah, I've played against some people who are, who are sort of make sure I didn't show them the outside because I was, I was wary of their pace, definitely. I'm trying to think of the quickest player I've played with or against. Oh, the quickest player I've played with was... Um, Isaiah Havili, he was a winger at Worcester okay. my first year. I, yeah, this was going back now over ten years, but he was he was lightning. Um, and Marcel, I remember Marcel Garvey even reckoned he was quicker than than him, and Marcel could move. So, wow. Um, what happened yeah, to that guy then? Oh, I'm not too sure. I mean, he actually, I think he moved down to Plymouth after my first mm-hmm. season. Um, yeah, but I'm not too sure. If he was, you know, thirty or closer to forty, I'm not too, not too sure. <laughs> oh right, okay, yeah, sure. I think he he'd been around for a while. And and how about Leicester? Because they've got some they've got some tremendously quick backs now. Yeah, yeah, and um, Toulouse Toulouse can move definitely. Yeah, he actually um, he's moved now, but he lived next door to me all last year. Um, so yeah, I got to know him um, pretty well and everything. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to. Um, no, yeah, uh, Charlie Sharples, he was he was quick as well. Yeah, and, and also wears ridiculous cycling shorts too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. It's a bad look. I, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I really don't. <laughs> They're pretty long. Um, going back to Leicester now, uh, you were there before Aaron Major. Aaron Major came came in, and everyone's very excited about what he does. What what is it about the way that Aaron Major plays the game and his approach, which is different to what you previously had? Um, he's very big on uh, the basics. I think just how over here we play football from a young age and everyone probably has a decent level of you know, a, a semi-decent first touch and stuff like that. I think it's you know it's the opposite in New Zealand where everyone has a rugby ball in their hands all the time. So I think he's very demanding on basic skills and really drilling that into you and drilling the sort of idea that you practice your basic skills every day as well. Okay. Um, which obviously... When you get onto the pitch, it it sort of facilitates the heads up rugby and um, playing off the cuff that you need to in order to in order to be as expansive as Leicester was last year compared to previous years. So, are we literally just talking things like patch, uh, catching and passing? Yeah, yeah, and just just having like very high standards for all that sort of stuff. So, when he yeah. says you should be practicing on your own, does he give you any ideas of like what you should be doing uh, away from the club? I don't mean sort of, um, but just outside um, of the proper team session. So after the team session, he would say, you know, make a big emphasis on a few of you get together and do 20 passes off each hand or, you know, 
work on your kicking or work on your your angles for tackling and stuff. He, just, he was just very sort of um, switched on on doing your extras basically after training. Uh, okay, cool. Because sometimes you can have a session, I know, particularly as a winger, if you're running through moves and everything, and you can have a session where you don't really touch the ball a lot. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you're sort of downskilling rather than upskilling. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was, that's one. And I, I, unfortunately, I didn't really get the chance to work with him too much because I was in the physio room so much in, in the year he was, he's been there. But especially from pre-season when I was fit, that was the emphasis I got. And, you know, he was, you know, even with, with me personally, he was quite, you know, consistent in drilling in the importance of, you know, getting getting those touches every day and yeah, keeping your skills improving because you, you know you can always there's always room to improve for everybody. Yeah, I, and to be fair, I think it's really shown in the last few years how how Leicester play. Yeah, and I think you know so the mentality of some of the boys who have come in as well has helped too. You know, I mentioned Toulouse, so, you know, he's been really good around the group, and people like him and Peter Beefham, you know, they get really do get excited by having the ball and mm. playing and having a go, which. I suppose when you come to a club like Leicester, as a you know somebody who's grown up in England, you know the you're very aware of the expectation, the pressure, and to win things. And I suppose if you come from you know slightly further afield, then um, you perhaps don't sort of you play with a bit more freedom. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think, I think yeah, definitely personnel has played a part as well in that. How do you see Leicester going next year? And who do you think they've signed who's going to be particularly important? Um, I think it didn't seem to go very well. I think uh, we went far off this year, to be honest, or the year just gone. I think you know, just fell at the final hurdle. But um, I think Matt Tamua is going to have a really big impact. But yeah, people like that who've got experience of playing in big games. I mean, Jean de Villiers came last year and he, you know, had his injury troubles and everything like that. But just having somebody like that in the group with all their experience and you know that they can pass on to the rest of the group is, is is invaluable really so you know i'm sure it'll be mostly on on the playing side because he's you know he's still he's still young he's in good shape and everything with this uh matt Tamua, but i think he'll also off, offer a lot in terms of just experience and mindset too yeah i mean i think you're probably right about leicester they were there or thereabouts but unfortunately that saracens team is i think quite special and it, it's going to take an even more special team to uh, to dethrone them, and I'm not sure if anyone's going to even come close next year. I'm really not. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I'm obviously going to be biased, you know, <laughs> but, but I, I do think Leicester have got a very, very good chance. And you know, the boys that I have seen are, you know, been motivated by the attitude so far in, in pre-season and everything. And I suppose, yeah, no team's going to go into a season saying. You know we're not fit, or we haven't trained, or yeah, we're not hopeful of doing well. Everyone's got the, everyone gets the A3 clipboard out and writes down their goals. And Aaron Major does drive quite hard. He's he's very big on, on culture, and I think that's probably why I'm quite confident in Leicester next season because I think it takes a while for, almost a different approach to embed itself fully in a new environment. But mm-hmm. I think by, you know, this season, I think everyone would have fully bought into what he's trying to do and. I think it's it's only going to turn out well. Excellent. Uh, one last one for you. Now, on Twitter, uh, there is an account called Lengrid, 
Now, we assume it's someone from inside the Leicester Tigers camp, but um, are you able to shed any light on this? And just so you know, Langrid is an, is an account based on uh, things that Ben Young says. Yeah, I've I've no idea who runs it. But if you were okay, to... well, okay, I probably have a. If you were to guess, I'll have a short list, I suppose. But I wouldn't. I'd probably say it'd be out of George Shooter, Tom Croft, or even Matt Smith. Wow! Wow! Well, a couple of those names have come up before, so I think <laughs> I think we're na- I think we're narrowing it down to Tom Croft. We oh, really? we think, but we're but we're not sure. It's definitely one of the better Twitter accounts out there. Yeah, I actually haven't looked at it for a while. I'm going to have a look. Okay, mate. Well, thank you so much for joining us down here in the Rugby Dungeon. Best of luck with with everything that you decide to do next. And if you ever want to come on ever again to, to talk about Leicester Tigers, box sets, anything you want, you're always more than welcome. No, brilliant. Thanks for that. And um, get on Ray Donovan. <laughs> Ray Donovan, on yeah, to it. That's another good one for you. All right, thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. Cheers, take care.